But it's good to give thanks. It's good to praise the Lord. It is good. It is, it is beautiful. Praise upon the lips of the righteous is beautiful. And we want to come in with our heart set on the Lord, with beautiful praise, with beautiful themes upon our hearts coming from, from our hearts. Yeah? I find it so amazing all day long, the rain. We are praying for rain, for this land, for, for Cyprus. You know, you, you drive down to the city, you see the dam so low in, in water. And we just, every time I drive by, Matthias encourages us. Every time we drive by, just speak blessings. Say, fill up, fill up, you know. So we pray that. But then when a whole day it rains, I'm like, thank you, Lord. You know, it's cold. It's wet. You can't go outside. The kids are noisy inside. But still, I'm like, thank you, Lord, for the rain. Thank you for that fresh life that's coming upon this land. Amen. We find reason to thank the Lord in all things. Yes, Lord. Amen. You know, I want to um, share a little bit of what's going on in my heart in these last weeks and months. And just uh, something that I've been processing um, with the Lord. Something that I've been stirring in my heart. And that is definitely not at a place where I'm like, oh yeah, I, I've I, you know, reached the depth of this. But um, it's something that, that is really... Um, coming from observing also and looking and I've you know like looking at our generation we have pretty much everything that any generation could have hoped for you know we have wealth beyond measure you know we have I, when I was a child 25 years ago I'm not that old 25 years ago when I was a child it was a dream to become a millionaire now in our days every three days we have a billionaire on the face of the earth a new billionaire so it's, it's changing completely. You know, back then, that was a lot, like, to be a millionaire. Now it's like, eh, if you have a million, who, what is that, you know? And, and, and we're looking, and we, we have a generation that has prospered, that has peace. For, 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 for decades, we have had peace. We have the highest level of education. We have knowledge that is at, a, at your fingertips, literally. Like, everything can be reached, and yet... I feel like we have one of the most apathetic and purposeless generations at the same time. How is that? You wonder. <laughs> I, 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 I just, this has been like something that's on my mind, even as I'm raising my sons. I want them to be purposeful. I want them to have purpose in life. I want them to have vision. I want them to have, have desire in their life. I don't want them to be apathetic. I don't want them to be purposeless. You know, I was reading during worship, I was reading Ephesians 1. Alex was praying out of it. It's really bad lighting here. Um, and it says, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ, to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. So there's, there's this, I've shared this when I was in Ephesus or in Izmir, and I was at the airport and I was reading this. It was this huge revelation that came to my heart. I was like, I have been chosen. And when I have been chosen, when I have been predestined, then I have a purpose. This, the, he is not choosing just randomly, you know. 
He's not just like, oh, yeah, maybe this guy or maybe this guy. Let's see what, what happens out of this. But when I've been chosen, there's a whole package that comes with it. There's a whole purpose. There's a whole drivenness in the heart of God for my life. And so when I realized I've been chosen, I've, I've received this, this amazing excitement for my life, dreaming again, being like, Lord, what is in your heart? What is in your, um, in your vision before your eyes when you look at my life? I want to be, be one that is re reaching out and grabbing a hold of something greater. I don't want to be just walking through life. So when this scripture jumped out at me, I was like, thank you, God. You know, when I think about my sons, you know, I, I, make, that, I, I make that statement, which makes no sense at all. But I say, I, I, when I dream about my sons, I dream about them being very high up of, I, I could even see them American president. Makes no sense because they're not Americans. But I'm just saying, I, my dreams as a father are in the impossible, are in the, in the realm of like, I want my sons to be so far beyond than I could ever imagine. I, I want them to grab a hold of purpose in life. When I bless them every Saturday, I speak purposeful over their lives because I want them to reach something greater. So when I am choosing to bless my sons, when God chooses to bless us, it is with, with purpose. It is with vision. It is with, with something greater that he is seeing. And, and I, I want us to be a generation. We are being called out of this generation to have purpose, to be driven, to be driven into an upward call. To be called up, we're called up. And I want us, tonight I just even feel like that there is something new, to, something fresh to lay a hold of that in our lives. And it says, having made known to us, in verse 9, the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. He wants to make known his mystery to us. He wants us to understand his will and purpose. He doesn't want us to go through life just feeling like, okay, we've, we've got it, we've been accepted, wonderful. But he wants us to understand his will. He wants us to understand what a greater picture is with the plan and the purpose that is in his heart. So I've been, I've been stirred about that, just looking at our generation, looking at culture, looking at the things that we call, or that we take so for granted and that is so normal, like democracy, like, like capitalism and all these things. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, is that really what God designed? Is that really the highest that we can achieve? Is this really the prime culture? Is this really the things that we are grabbing a hold of? You know, we've been, we've been fed this lie in our generation. We see money, we see fame, we see people, and we think this is what we need to achieve. This is what we need to grasp. This is, this is you know, the television and internet and everything keeps feeding us with, this, with these desires and these images. Back then it was idols, now it's images on the TV. And we keep grasping after it and think this, when we're there, we got it. But it's not. When you, how many times do we see that those famous people, those rich people, end up in suicide, end up in destruction because they have not found the satisfaction of their soul and purpose in life? 
when I, when I look at this, I, I realize, and I look through the Bible, I realize God, from the beginning, designed us, well, not from the beginning, but he started calling out Abraham. And he, he, he called, uh, and with Moses even, he was calling the Israelites, not just to come out of slavery or to, to have, a, have a connection to God, but he was putting something into Abraham to change and to bring a culture that is so much more similar to heaven so that heaven and earth become closer and become real. And that is something that God has placed within Moses, within Abraham, within, within the Israelites. And he's called them out to bring something new, to, to create something new in a, in a culture, in a world where there was a lot of things going on, a lot of idol worship. He wasn't just calling them out of slavery. He was calling them out with purpose. Because he had a desire in his heart that he spoke to Abraham about, about this, this unification of, of heaven and earth and, and creating a place where God is being revealed, where God can dwell with his people again. So when he called Israel out of Egypt, he, he, he called them to the Mount Sinai and then he revealed his laws. He revealed the things that, uh, what heaven looks like. And he says to Moses in Exodus 34, I think it is, he says, do all things just the way that, as I have shown you on the mountain. It wasn't just so that they would religiously observe something, but God was showing him something of heaven that he wanted to plant in the earth so that he can come near and reveal his glory and that the people can know him. I shared the other day in, in our worship time that I realized, you know, when Moses' face was shining, that was an invitation. I believe that was an invitation of God to the people of Israel to say, this is what you can have. This is a glory that I want to reveal. I want my people to draw near. I want them to know myself in such a way that they reflect it even on the earth. The Israelites were called to bring something not only for themselves and to be a, a people secluded, and separated from the rest, they were called to be a people that are a light to the nation. And not just with laws and rituals, but a light with the glory of God. They were called to shine, to reflect the glory of God upon the nations, to invite them into to the greater reality of what has been lost with the fall of sin. Or the sinfall, or whatever we call it. And so... The Israelites quickly just put the blanket over Moses' face. Like, look, let's quickly cover that up. We don't want to deal with the things in our lives. Moses had to deal with a lot of things in his life. Because God was pointing them out. Because God said, there's something greater, Moses. There's something better for you. Something more glorious. Something more beautiful to walk in. So let us not, when things, when God is revealing something that we cannot comprehend, let us not be quick to put a blanket over it. But let us receive that light and cleanse us and repair us so that we can shine in a greater way, that we can become that reflection. I was thinking of, of David and his mighty men. I was, the other day, I was really, really laughing. Um, as I was reading this, um, I, by the way, I got my new Bible. Yeah, it's so beautiful. 
come on. Lord, let it be Revelation Bible. Thank you, God. Um, let me find this. It's in the... 1 Samuel 22. I was, I was amazed about this. And everyone who was in, uh, oh yeah, and this is about David's life, like who was coming to him. So, so let me just quickly share about David's life. I mean, David was, he says in, in Psalm 55, I think it is, he says, I was conceived in sin. He was from birth. From conception on, he was not really accepted. He was rejected. How do we know that? When the prophet of Israel, the mighty prophet of Israel, Samuel, comes to his family, all of the sons and all of the household comes together. But who is not there? The youngest son, David. He's out on the field. He's not even invited. The prophet of Israel, the the outstanding figure of that time to all the people is showing up at his family's house and David is not invited. David is not there. Samuel has to ask, do you have another son? Well, yeah, he's out there somewhere with the sheep. He grew up with rejection. And then David comes and, you know, to, to uh, bring his brother's bread that are there uh, facing the Philistines, you know. And, and they rejected. They're like, what do you do here? What are you listening in? Immediate rejection again. But he hears what the people are talking about uh, Goliath. And then he hears Goliath shout, uh, you know, uh, curses against Israel. And he rises up. He's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is it? My God. You, you people are chickens, like my God. I come to you in the name of my God, the living one. And he defeats Goliath, you know, and he becomes this, this favorite guy in Israel. And all of Israel loves him and chants his name and shouts him. And he becomes the son-in-law of Saul and all this stuff. And, and then all of a sudden, the things turn again and they come against him. The, Saul persecutes him. The people treat, uh, uh, how do you say it? Uh, like he was hiding out and the people were revealing his hiding place. How do you say that? Tree. Betrayed him. Betrayed him. Exactly. People betrayed him saying, look, Saul, is he not here? Like if you go this way, you can catch him. You can kill him. It wasn't just Saul persecuting him. It was the people turning against him too. And you know, in that time, as he's fleeing, as he's running away, as Saul is trying to kill him, it says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Now listen to this. I love it. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter of soul gathered to him. So he became captain. <laughs> I did not say that. <laughs> and he became captain over them. Well, I don't know if I want to be captain over that bunch. Everyone who was in distress, who was in debt and bitter of soul, came to him. And he became captain of that. Wow. And you know what's even funnier? There were about 400. Now, that's a whole lot of people. There were about 400 men with him. 
And then David went from there to Mitzpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. Guys, he didn't just have a bunch of distressed people, bitter of soul with him. He had no idea what he's about to do. He had no clue for his life. He's like, please take my parents until I know what God will do for me because I don't know what's going to happen here. He, but, you know, and this bunch, this whole thing God takes, it's like, you know, this rejected David that felt so rejected. I have anointed him. I've called him. I've seen his heart. And I'm going to bring a bunch of, you know, <laughs> crazy people to him. And I'm going to form them into a nation, into a people that will shape a culture that's going to look so much like heaven that I will dwell in the midst of them. David became, out of the Old Testament, the most similar or most, uh, uh, the most revealing of the messianic age, of the Messiah. He was so close to the Father and so close to heaven that he became, like he, he set up the tent. I don't know if, uh, the, the, the tent of David. The tent of David, back then, it was the tent of Moses that we had with the veil, where the Ark of the Covenant was behind the veil, and there was the priestly service and all that. David took the Ark of the Covenant, put it in a tent. There was no veil, and all the priests were allowed to go in and worship right in the very center of the presence of God, looking upon it. That was something that, only Yeshua then did for all of us ripping the veil. But David reached forward to that messianic age and was like, we're going to see face to face. We're going to stand in the presence of God. We're going to be those that look upon the glory just as Moses has looked upon the glory. We're going to be a transformed people. He took a hold of that. He changed culture. It says in Acts 7 that that uh, Israelites were chasing the Gentiles out of the land until the days of David. There was a whole long time of them fighting against the, the, the Gentiles in, that, in the nation, in the, in the property, in the land that God has promised them until the days of David. Something changed with David and that crazy bunch. Something changed. And it had nothing to do with education. It had nothing to do with the, the way that they were brought up. But it was the way that, that David positioned them. That David positioned himself before the Lord. And they watched him. How many times was it that they were like, oh, now is the time that the Lord delivered Saul into your hand. You should kill him. You know, they were there, let's come on, kill him. He's like, no, I will not touch the anointed. David was raising them up with a different standard, with a different view. David positioned them in honor of the Lord, of the anointing. Not just to look at the physical of the persecution that was happening, but like, no, he's an anointing. There's an anointing. You cannot be faultless and sinless if you touch the anointing. It wasn't just about Saul. It was about the anointing that David recognized. So he taught these guys, watch out for the anointing. Look what's on people. Look what God has, has made available. That's not just seeing the physical. And they watched him. And they became those giant slayers. You know, we read about these distressed and 
bitter of soul people, you know, a couple chapters later, they're called the mighty men of David. They're called the ones that stood in a field and slayed 600 people at a time because they, they had a courage that was beyond their own. They stood in the field against the whole army. When David says in Psalm 18, with my God I can run against a troop, that wasn't just fictional. That was what these guys did. That was literally how they stood. There was a courage. There was something greater built up in them through David. Now before they were trust, distressed, they were running away. They were in debt. They were bitter of soul. And all of a sudden there are the, these mighty men. They're mighty men that are changing culture, that are creating a kingdom where God likes to dwell. Where God says, that's, that's the people I want to be with. I love it. I hope my kids don't end up like that. <laughs> I mean, like, distressed, the bitter of soul. But I want them to be those mighty men standing in the field ready. Ready to prepare a kingdom where the king is welcomed. Thinking of the apostles. You know that, that I want to read through, uh, to you from, from something. Um, um, that's the ancient Greek term of apostolos. What it actually was. Apostles, you know, we think of it very Christianized. Very quickly Christian thinking. But here is what actually the word apostolos was was back in the day um, before it became a Christian term. During the time of the ancient Greek, I don't know how you say that word, orator, orator, Demosthenes, in 384 BC, the word apostolos was a naval term that described an admi admiral, the fleet of ships that traveled with him and the specialized crew who accompanied and assisted the admiral. The fleet would be sent out to sea on a mission to locate territories where civilization was non-existent. Once an uncivilized, uncivilized region was identified, the admiral called the apostolos, uh, along with a specialized crew and all his cargo and belongings, would disembark, settle down, and work as a team to establish a new community. Then they would begin the process of transforming a strange land into a replica of life, as they believed it should be. Their purpose was total colonization of the uncivilized territory. In other words, it was a, or it was a, a, a fleet of ship that were going to, let's say, somewhere in North Africa, found a land where there was no civilization in, in the sense that they understood it. They went in, and it was actually quite brutal back then. Like, they would literally force, and there was a lot of murder and all that stuff happening. But they would literally go in and establish something that would look like where, where they came from. So that when the king would come to that colony, he would feel absolutely at home. That was the job of the apostle. And when you look at the apostle's life, they, they saw something in heaven. And they wanted to replicate that in the earth. They started training. They started going around the Mediterranean, started draining the people with the values of heaven, with the values of God, to create a place where Christ would come and dwell. Their vision, what was the last words 
What was the, or no, let's say, it's what was the first words they heard after Yeshua was taken into heaven? What are you looking up into heaven? The same way that this man had gone, he will come back. So their whole vision of life was, he's going to come back. He's going to come back, and we've got to prepare a place for him. He's going to come back, and when he comes back, this place better looks like he's at home. So when they had that vision, when they had that purpose, they were driven to bring something into the culture that would establish a place where he would dwell, where he says, I am home, I'm coming. That would invite him to come. When Peter says in 2 Peter 2, uh, 3, verse 11 and 12, when he says that we shall hasten to soon return, there is true meaning in that. Hasten the day of the Lord, the day of the coming of the Lord. There is true meaning in that. We can, with our conduct, with our, it says, in holy conduct and in godliness, we can prepare a way. We can prepare a place where he is drawn to. My, I, have, I have a lot of people in Germany that constantly tell me, it's like, oh, the Lord must be coming back soon because things are getting worse. You know, the, things are Things could get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and the Lord will not come back still. Because God's not just coming back because things are getting worse. He's coming back because there's a bride that has made herself ready. He, there's something that he's drawn to. There's a place that is prepared in our hearts and around us that he's drawn to. And he's like, Father, let me go. Father, I want to see. Father, I want to be there. Things could get a lot worse. But let us not be dismayed by what's getting worse. But let us get ready. There's a bride that has made herself ready, it says in Revelations. That's our job. To make ourselves ready. To prepare our hearts. Come on. You know, it... Uh, the miracle that uh, Matthew just shared that the other day. Um, and what, what, is our, what is our invitation with Jesus saying, come and follow us? You know, it, it, it is so beyond what we can understand. Because I love how, how Matthew said it. It's not, the miracle is not that they followed him. The miracle was that he called them. The fishermen, the Galileans. Those that were not studied in the word. Those that were, you know, he called them. He's like, just like David, the bunch of distressed people. God called them to himself. He's like, I'm going to sow something into you that's going to look so different. It's going to look so amazing that all people will be drawn to it. We are invited. It doesn't matter what our family background is, what, what our wealth, what our education is, whatever our upbringing is. It doesn't matter. We are invited into an amazing journey with a great purpose. This is not just so we would have a nice life. This would not, is not just so that we would feel good about ourselves. But there is an invitation with purpose. There's a, we are being predestined. We have been predestined. We have been chosen with purpose. I'm excited about this. That I get to run with purpose. 
You know, when I, when I think about these things, we, there, there's, clearly an, <laughs> there's clearly an invitation for us in this as a church. It wasn't just for the apostles. The apostles were representing something for us that would open us up to that reality. That would say, now you. Now it's your turn. Now come into that, what we've prepared, and live in that way. Paul wasn't just preaching to the churches everywhere around the world so that they, they would say, oh, great, Paul's got it. Paul wasn't writing these letters so that they just be a, a, amazed about what he, well, with the knowledge that he had. But he was inviting us into this, saying, now you run with it. Prepare a place. Live your life in such a way that God can come. So read Romans 12. One. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed to this world. You have been called out, speaking to the students here. We have been called out, all of us, out of a world of darkness into marvelous light. We are not to be conformed to the systems and the thinking of this world. We are to be transformed in the renewing of our mind. Alan Hirsch, I love this book of Alan Hirsch. It's... Um, uh, called Untamed, and it's about discipleship. But he quotes uh, a guy named Abraham Heschel, if I pronounce his name right, and he says, human existence cannot derive its ultimate meaning from society because society itself is in need of meaning. You know that we have been caught up in a cycle of lies where we are trying to derive meaning for our life as we look upon culture, as we look upon our society, we've been caught up in lies thinking this is the way and we end, always end up there. Because society cannot give us meaning of life. Society cannot give us purpose, cannot give us vision. It can only keep us going in circles. We cannot look at this world to be, to be having vision or to, to have meaningful life. That's why he says, do not, I beg you, do not be conformed to this world. Do not give your everything to fill yourself with vision of heaven, with what heaven looks like, with purpose. Be going after that. Paul himself said it, I have not attained, I press on, because there's still more to lay a hold of. I don't want to stop somewhere, I don't want to just grow tired somewhere, I don't want to fall into those cycles and circles i want to go with vision the upward call moving forward moving upward i'm not speaking i i am believing that we are called as a church we are called to create a culture to create a culture that looks like heaven and i'm not saying we are creating a subculture within a society we are creating a prime culture 
that is, has the power and the potential to transform every society and every aspect of history and future and all of creation. Prime culture, prime, the word prime, means something of highest standard. We are not supposed to be a little bubble in between a, a culture and a society. We are called to be those that set the standard for culture. Our society, can it be that our generation is so apathetic and purposeless because the church has missed to create culture where they can have vision and purpose? God, have mercy on us as a church that we may rise up and, and stand in the place that we've been called to, to create a place where God is manifest, where God is revealed, and the people are drawn to to have purpose in life. We are not a subculture that tries to exist in or secluded from the rest of the culture. We are supposed to be the prime culture. That sets standards. Our biblical standards. The standard of the spirit. And the standard of the word. Are the highest that can be achieved. And that create a platform for God to be revealed. It has always been God's desire. To dwell with man. I like to call it the walkie talkie. Because what happened in, in, gar in the garden of Eden. He was walking with Adam. He was talking with Adam. Right? Those things stick with people. <laughs> God desires to dwell with his people. God, God created man in his image so that he can be with us. He can have relationship with us. So he is, he's desiring for his church to create a place where we're we walking in the fullness of the redemption that Jesus has made available so that he can be with us always. He can make his home with us. The Father and I will come to dwell with you. We've, we've fallen short. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We've quickly made cisterns of our own systems to hold waters that can feed us. But we're not living from the fresh waters that God is providing. We set up systems, but we have fallen short of the glory of God. That is ultimately what we're after. The culture that we want to create is not just so we create a different culture. It is with that purpose of God coming to dwell. It is about the return of the Lord. It is about Him making all things one. What does Ephesians 1 continue to say? It says in verse 9, Having made known to us the mystery of His will. What is the mystery of His will? That in the dispension of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him. That is the mystery of his will. He wants us to understand his will. Romans 12, he says it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be renewed in the transformation of your mind. Be renewed so that you may know what is the good and perfect will of God. What is the will of God? To make all things one in Jesus Christ. 
to bring heaven on earth, to bring Yeshua and magnify him. And that is our portion, that is our calling to create that place. So what we are doing here in worship is not just about singing songs, but it is creating a place where Christ is drawn to so that it can spread from here to the nations. So we can colonize the nations with the kingdom of heaven, where Christ is coming and saying, here I want to dwell, here I want to dwell, I'm drawn. There is a growing anticipation in the earth for his coming. There's a growing desire for him to come. And Jesus himself is drawn to it. It's like, Father, let me go. Let me be with my pride. Let me be with my people. I want to show my glory. Come on. We had a time here, I think it was the last time that Mr. Rudolph was here in this house in 2015. And I remember he was sitting where Alex is sitting right now. Come on, Lord. Whew. He was sitting right there and he got caught up into a heavenly place. And he started singing and prophesying out of that heavenly place over us, challenging us. And he was exactly that scripture is what he started singing and chanting. It's like God's grand plan is to gather all things both in heaven and on earth, together in Christ Jesus. He started singing, and all of a sudden he says, just ask the Lord for a vision right now. He is willing to give it to you. And I said, Lord, I want a vision. And that, that exact moment, I just saw a, a stone, a, a dark black stone flung at me. And I, I literally ducked because I thought I'm going to get it right in my face. And it was a pentagon stone with five edges. Like you say, call, call it pentagon, right? Yeah. It was a Pentagon stone, like the Pentagon, the CIA building in Langley. Pentagon? No, not Pentagram. Not, that's a star. Pentagon, right? Pentagon. Okay. It was a Pentagon. And it was, and it was flung at me. And then all of a sudden, the next thing I noticed was it landed on Cyprus. And, and it had those, those uh, the, the five corners were pointing in different, to different cities around the region. And when I looked closer, I saw in, in, the, in the stone there was a clock. And it had white, uh, white arrows or white, white markers like the clock, like this, but with white markers. And, uh, and I saw that the outside of the clock, those, uh, those corners were turning with the clock. And the Lord said, there's a time and a season for everything. And, um, and I, I, I kept watching. And then there was, a, there was a moment where the clock was switching. And the arrow started, the, the white things were shot out into the region. And the, the first arrow landed in Lebanon. And, it beca- and I saw it landed. And then immediately I saw like white liquid poured out. But I thought it was like white liquid poured out. So I went closer in the vision. And I realized it was actually not white liquid. The ground became white and started shining. And became a place of redemption. And it's just like, and later on I realized that Lebanon is actually called Levan, which means white. And, and, but I, uh, I saw that vision. I was like, there's a time and a season for everything. When I saw that, when the Lord spoke that, the, Mr. R was sitting there and said, some of you hear the clock tick louder. Right that moment when I had that vision. And the, the Lord is calling the laborers into the harvest. The fields are white. That's what he said. And I was watching this. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? (laughs) But 
asking the Lord more about it, I, I realized that uh, when the stone was dark, I, I realized the Lord was saying, it's an invitation to hiddenness. It's an invitation to the secret place. It's an invitation to be in that place where you are growing with me. And when you are made ready, there is a time where you will be shut out. I will shoot you out across the nations to bring redemption, to bring glory, to establish places where God is being revealed. And we have the power to redeem history, redeem lands, redeem nations. But it's in that place where we are being shaped, in that place right here where we allow the Lord to transform us in the hiddenness. To not look for the stage, to not look for leadership, to not look for, for ministry, but to come into that place, God, Lord, here I am. Form me, shape me until I'm ready, then shoot me out. You are in this season of forming and shaping. And this is not just something I see for gateways. I see it for Cyprus. I see, I, and I want to speak that over Cyprus, that there's going to be homes, there's going to be families where there's a secret place, where there's a training, where there's a transforming happening. And out of Cyprus will be shut forth many arrows that will bring redemption in the, in the nation, that will bring cleansing in the nation, that will bring revival in the nation, that will establish colonies of heaven in the nations. Thank you, Father. The Lord is calling into hiddenness so that he can reveal himself. Because it's not about us being revealed. It's about him being glorified. I want this for my life. I want to be in that place of hiddenness. I want to be drawn into that place where I am transformed. Where did Moses' face begin to shine? Where did it begin to shine? In the presence of God, in the hiddenness. When he went into the tent, when he went to talk with God, they only noticed it when he came out, but it started shining in there, in the hiddenness. There's an invitation for all of us in this season to draw near to God, to let our lives be transformed. Not just spiritually, but every aspect of our life. Every aspect. God is not just looking at our spirit. He's looking at how we position ourselves, body, soul, and spirit. Because he wants to transform it all for his glory. There's an invitation for us in this season to start shining. And yes, we do say shine and smile and there is something about smiling and shining in that way. But I believe that there is even a greater portion that God wants to make available. That we become the people that reflect the very glory of God. That when people look upon us, they are drawn to the Messiah. And then we are shot out into the nations wherever we go. And we are prepared. We are made ready. We are not just flying aimlessly into the ocean. Bloop. We are going with purpose. Like, Lord, it's time to see the nations transformed. To see the nations made ready for the king is coming. People get ready. 
Wie hat das, we had this one story as a community did that song. Was it that song or was it another song where we started chanting it and like dancing and preparing our hearts before the Lord? Let us get ready. Remember that? Nicosia? Get ready, get ready. Yeah. Get ready, get ready. Lord, prepare our hearts. Are you willing to seek the pl hidden place? Are you willing to look for that place where God can transform you, where God can shine on every aspect of your life? So that you can become more like him. That you can become that host of the presence of God. What separated the Israelites from the rest of the people? The presence of God. Moses was very, very clear about that. It's like, if you don't go up with us, I will not go. Because how will the people know that we are different? We need your presence, God. Come on. We want to be prime culture. Let us not be conformed to anything less. Let us not be walking according to the standards of this earth, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Can we stand up and just going to pray together? Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for your goodness, Lord. Father, we thank you that through Yeshua, Lord, you have made so much available for us, Lord. Lord, and we do not want to live for the lesser things. We do not want to live for anything that is, that is just substituting of what you actually came for and died for, Yeshua. You did not just die for our sins. You died for us so that we would live in fullness. You died so we can come into the fullness of heaven and live it out on the earth so that you can be revealed. You and the Father can be revealed in all of your glory. Lord, we want to come into that place here in this season, Lord. We want to say, Lord, here we are. Transform us. Shape us. Make us, mold us, make us into who you are and what you've designed for us. Father, we want to be prepared as a people that are made ready for the coming of the Lord. Father, we want to see greater glory. Lord, you promised. Lord, that, that if Moses' face was shining... With the glory of God of the first covenant. How much more shall our faces, shall our lives shine with the glory and the goodness of God. Because of Yeshua, our Messiah. Lord, we want to live as people ready for your glory. Father, even we want to thank you for what happened, what you started this last week. Of encountering us and moving in us, transforming us, bringing things to the surface, leading us into repentance, leading us into clearance, Lord, leading us into purity, leading us into holiness. Father, we want to commit to you and want to say, Lord, bring a greater holiness upon our lives, Lord. Transform our mind. Keep transforming and renewing our mind, Lord, that we may reflect more and more of your beauty, Father, more and more of your glory. 
Father, we want to not live for the lesser things on the earth. We want to live for the greater things in heaven, Lord. We want to establish the prime culture of heaven here on the earth. We want to be colonies of heaven, Lord. So, Father, I just bless everyone that has, is here tonight, Father, and I ask that you would come, that you would meet us in the night, that you would speak to us, Lord, that we would give ourselves to the process of discipleship, to the process of being formed, being transformed, being shaped into the image of God, being prepared for the greater things, Lord. Father, we thank you for the grace that is available in this season, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this place here on the island of Cyprus. And Lord, we thank you for the places that you're raising up all around this island. Father, I thank you for that vision, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that there's homes, that there's people, that there's families right here on this island that are preparing their hearts, that are preparing their lives, that are bringing, uh, preparing an altar where you can come and dwell and prepare them to be shut out, Lord, to be those emissaries, to be those apostles, the sent ones, Lord, those that go out to create colonies in the earth, Lord, where you are glorified, where you are shining, God. Lord, we want to be a people ready for you. We want Cyprus to be a bride ready for you, God. Ready where Yeshua dwells. Ready to, for Yeshua to come and be glorified. Thank you, God. Lord, we bless your name tonight. We thank you for your word. And we ask that you would speak to us. That you would continue to speak to us and call us and awaken us. Let us not fall into the ways of the earth, of the world. But just like Moses prayed, we ask, Lord, if we found favor with you, show us your ways that we may know you. Lord, this is our prayer. Continue to show us your ways. We want to walk in your ways, God. We want to walk in your ways that we may know you, God. Let our eyes be on you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Yeshua's mighty name. Amen.